Hello, welcome to Powerhouse Politics. I'm ABC News Chief White House Correspondent Jonathan Carl. And I'm ABC News Political Director Rick Klein. Well, Rick, uh, extraordinary day. I know I seem to be saying that a lot uh, here at the White <laughs> it's House. It's always true. <laughs> uh, I, I, I've just emerged from a briefing with National Security Advisor H.R. Uh, McMaster on this uh, incredible Washington Post story uh, saying that the President of the United States revealed sensitive classified information to the Russians, that this so alarmed uh, some individuals here at the White House that there was a call calls placed to the NSA, National Security Agency, and to the CIA to, to, to let them know what the president had done. Uh, and, Rick, uh, the Post reports that this information came from an ally, an American ally in the uh, Middle East. It's extraordinary in just about every way. And, and of course, this meeting comes just came just a day after President Trump fired James Comey. Uh, in part by his own admission, uh, thinking about the Russia investigation that Comey was leading. Ambassador Kislyak was key to understanding that piece of the story because it was meetings between him and Jeff Sessions that got Jeff Sessions recused from the investigation, which put Rod Rosenstein in place. It's as if you're sc- it's scripted to all come together in this meeting in the Oval Office that is now the subject of such speculation uh, and, and so much new reporting in the last 24 hours, all trying to get at what exactly was communicated in the Oval Office and you know that the White House position on this has already shifted, as it is wont to do. It went from this story is totally false to the premise of the story being false to now what they're saying is that this was wholly appropriate information for the president, classified or not, wholly appropriate information to share with the Russians. I'll tell you, John, and you know this, this is not answering the big questions that are now facing this White House. And, and one thing that's clear since this is powerhouse politics what we're going to get to, we're going to be joined shortly by somebody who is uniquely qualified to explain what is going on here, uh, General Michael Hayden, former director of the CIA, uh, who also ran the National Security Agency. Uh, nobody knows more about the intelligence community and about the way the intelligence community interacts with the White House than General Michael Hayden. We'll be talking to him shortly about the substance of this, but on the politics for a moment, Rick, the idea that the president... Um, you have a story out that the president irresponsibly, allegedly shared classified information with the Russians and that you had photos from the famous meeting, which, as you pointed out, happened the day after Comey was fired, with the Russian ambassador, subject to all the stories you mentioned, and the Russian foreign minister, Lavrov, and the president joking like it's a college reunion uh, in the Oval Office... Um, given all that was said about the Russia ties, given all the criticism that was leveled at Hillary Clinton during the campaign about classified information and her handling of classified information, it's really hard to imagine a more damaging story to the Trump White House politically than this one. And it, it calls into question the people that are now behind and have been behind President Trump somewhat reluctantly, and the Republicans in Congress, because it's one thing to say, as many of them said, focus on what he does and not what he says. You can ignore the tweets, you could ignore the bluster, the bravado, because you're focusing on what he does. This is something he actually did. Firing James Comey, that's an action. Another action, telling the Russians things that we learned apparently from a U.S. ally, that's an action. These are actual actions, and they are actions that many of those Republicans just aren't comfortable with. So that's what makes this a critical moment. John, I'm sure you get asked, as I do all the time, is this a tipping point? Is this a major moment? This meeting in the Oval Office 
given the timing, given what we now was communicated, given the fact that it was right after Comey, this could be the pivot point. And we'll see how, what the reaction is like. We'll see how people kind of respond to the new revelation, the new reporting. But there is now something to hang on that is a very critical, actual action, not words, not confusion. There's a lot of smoke in the aftermath, but an actual action by the president that is being actively questioned. All right, and joining us now on the line is General Hayden, former director of the Central Intelligence Agency. General Hayden, thank you for joining us. Uh, happy to do it, John. So I, I want to get to the to the substance. If you can kind of help us uh, deconstruct exactly what has been reported here, and then I want to I want to move to what General McMaster's uh, General McMaster had to had to tell us just a short while ago in the White House briefing room. But but first of all, the sure. initial Washington. Post report said this was code word intelligence. What does that mean? Yeah, it means it's compartmented, John. It means it's not put out into general intelligence distribution. I mean, you suffer a bit when you when you put something out for wide distribution. The risk of compromise is great. So here here is a case where we decided not to make full use of the data to keep it more tightly compacted, compartmentalized, because the sourcing of the data was so sensitive and so fragile. And so that does suggest you've got real danger here in terms of revealing sources and methods if you ever really got close to that. Now, uh, as I said, we just had this briefing from General Henry McMaster, very well-respected guy. I remember covering his... Uh, uh, leadership in, in Talafar in, in Iraq way back during the dark days of, of the Iraq war when he was a, a particular bright spot. He's, he's the national security advisor. I want to play for you. I asked him a question, uh, which I think is the kind of fundamental question uh, uh, to this. I, I'd like to play the question, play his answer, and then if you can kind of help us interpret. When you came out after the story broke, you said that the president did not disclose any sources or methods. He did not reveal anything about military operations. Why were you denying things that were not even reported? What the report said is that the president revealed classified information that had been shared by one of our allies in the Middle East. So the question is simply a yes or no question here. Did the president share classified information with the Russians in that meeting? And as I mentioned already, we don't say what's classified, what's not classified. What I will tell you again is that what the president shared was wholly appropriate. The story, the story combined what was leaked with other information and then, and, then, and then insinuated about sources and methods. So I wanted to make clear to everybody that the president in no way compromised any sources or methods in the course of this conversation. Now, by, by my count, General Hayden, General McMaster used that phrase, wholly appropriate. The president's actions were wholly appropriate right. nine times during this briefing. Can you, yeah. can you help us understand what he's saying? Yeah, John, look, there are a lot of factors bearing on the problem flying around here, some in a positive way, some in a negative way. Let's just kind of go, go through some on the list. Number one, the president is the ultimate declassification authority. This is totally uh, within his purview. Uh, second, uh, we do have a responsibility to warn, even at my level at CIA, if we knew stuff that, that suggested impending danger for someone else, even if we didn't like the someone else, we had a responsibility in one way or another to get that information to them so that innocence wouldn't die. And that was, I think, part of this conversation. If what I read uh, about the Oval Session 
is correct. So you've got these you've got you've got these impulses to share and the authority to share. I think what people like me are concerned about, not with the power of the president to do that, but the performance of the president in doing that. Did he go off script? It seems as if he did, based upon the reporting. Um, HR points out that the president didn't even know the source of the information, which might suggest that he would have, if he had known the source, perhaps he would not have said as much. I mean, something's got to explain the kerfuffle that took place after the meeting. Again, if the reporting is correct, someone on HR staff felt it was necessary to give CIA and NSA a heads up that this stuff had been talked about uh, with with the Russians. So it, it cuts both ways. And with regard to he did not speak about sources and methods, I, I take that at face value. He, of course he didn't if HR said he didn't. But, you know, John, you and I have worked on other sides of the fence <laughs> in my previous life in government. Yes. And when I would yes. and when I would talk to folks like you, I would often point out that you guys were going to go report on fact of and pretend to me that that wouldn't compromise sources and methods. And one of my constant arguments was, you know, when you do fact of, very often it points in the direction of fact how. In other words, yeah. points in the direction of the sources and methods that I want to protect and you don't believe you are threatening. So this is this is a, a complex question and it's made not as clear as I would want it, you would want it to be by HR, quite understandably, not wanting to get into the fine print of the meeting. So th there's another so piece of that uh, of that briefing today that I want to want to play for you that uh, I just want to get kind of a fact check on it. But take a listen to this. This is uh, H.R. McMaster uh, contending that the president uh, wasn't aware of the source when he shared the information yeah. that he's alleged yeah. to have shared. Take a listen to this. The president wasn't even aware you know, of where this information came from. He wasn't briefed on the source or method of the information either. So two questions on that. A, is that plausible? And B, does that make it better in any way? It is totally plausible, and not just for this president. It is totally plausible, but I don't think it makes it better. Uh, I mean, again, uh, I would say that perhaps he went further than he should have gone because he was not aware of the second and third order effects of what he was saying. So I don't I mean, it it, it, it certainly clears the president of ill intent, but I don't think anybody was making that charge. It doesn't clear the president of ill effect, which is, I think, what we're all concerned about. So, take us inside how this works. So when a president is told about items like this, that code word, uh, classified information, if he's not aware of the source, how aware of how sensitive is he going to be necessarily in the moment to know this is something that if you share it, it has these consequences? Or does it all get wrapped up in a, in a broader way? And I know we don't have much insight into how the, this president yeah. receives his, his PDBs, but is it wrapped up in a broader way that a president can make an honest mistake? Uh, any president can make an honest mistake. This is complex stuff. I can make honest mistakes when I talk publicly or, or talk to an allied partner and liaison service and so on. And, and so, you know, we, we all need, need to be aware of this. But this, this raises what I think is actually the more important question. And, and, and that is, how does this president learn? Each president learns differently. President Bush, he did it in the conversation. He read. He's a good reader. But he learned in the dialogue. President Obama, more reflective. He learned in the quiet moment. He, he liked to read. How does Donald Trump learn? And the security establishment then, after discovering that, has to find the right techniques to get inside the president's head. And, and right now, 
I mean, the word on the street is that this is a president that really doesn't do a lot of homework, that that is almost preternaturally confident in his own instincts and judgments and a priori narrative of how the world works. He, he doesn't seem to have a whole lot of respect for the institutions that are designed to bring him this kind of detailed knowledge. Recall the early comments uh, about the about the PDB. And, and so we're going to have to figure out some way to get the president more up to speed on the, on the things that he is going to be forced to deal with personally. That takes time. I mean, President Bush gave the intel guy at least 30 minutes a day, six days a week in person. And you build up a body of knowledge and understanding in the person of this president. President Trump's not been there long. And, and, and frankly, I think it's fair to say he's coming into the job with a thin portfolio on these matters. He's not a student of American government. Uh, outside of business and real estate deals, he's not a student of international relations. So I understand the lack of background. What I don't understand is the lack of humility in the face of that obvious lack of background. Well, I want to ask you, you are somebody who spent your entire career steeped in the intelligence community, part of the intelligence community, leader of the intelligence community. I mean, you've, you know, not just the CIA, but the NSA, four-star Air Force general, you know military intelligence. You know that community probably as well as any human being a lot. So when you see a president, even before he came into office, essentially at war with the intelligence community, and then you see a situation since he has taken office... And, and, and frankly, this is a situation clearly where the, the president <laughs> disparaged the community, uh, referred to intelligence in quotes, made, yeah. made, you know, made, made comparisons that made a lot of people extremely uneasy. But here you have a president who has a meeting with foreign leaders. And as far as we've been told, the people in that meeting from the White House were H.R. McMaster, the National Security Advisor, Dina Powell, Deputy National Security Advisor, Rex Tillerson, his Secretary of State. That meeting takes place, and within days, the details of that meeting, all the lurid details of that meeting, are played out in the newspaper. And we saw similar things happen with his phone calls with the Australians and the Mexicans. We've seen you right. know, similar things. What, what, and, and, and let me tell you, I'm not going to surprise you, General, but when I asked the White House who they think <laughs> is behind this, they say it's the IC. They say it's the intelligence community. Is, that, is, this, is this a tenable situation where you have a complete breakdown in trust between the intelligence community and the commander-in-chief? No, it's not a tenable uh, situation, John. And, and I, I agree with your, your diagnosis. Uh, I, I was of the hope that it was getting better. I understand Mike Pompeo is getting in to see the president on a more routine basis. <clears throat> Dan Coats, now assuming office, once confirmed, uh, a more active player. These are all positive signs, and I think we both agree with regard to the talent of Dina Powell and General McMaster. The, these these are all good things, but we're, we're digging out of a out of a fairly deep hole here, John. And 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 frankly. You know, let, let me let me go philosophical on you just for a minute and get out of the intel persona. I mean, th this might go all the way back to challenging the values of the Enlightenment. I mean, when we came out of the 17th century, it was about empiricism. It was about experience. It was about 
data. It was about respect for the complexity of problems and so on. And certainly in the performance in the campaign and in the first 100 days and change in office, you know, the president doesn't trend towards those virtues, John. It's uh, the world's simple and it's messed up because the guys in front of me were lazy, stupid or, or corrupt. And and the message, the message of journalism, the message of science, the message of scholarship and the message of intelligence is that facts matter. And this stuff is really complicated and you can't will your way to an outcome. And, and that may actually be at its base what the conflict is here. Intel is just an example not the example. General, what's the, what is the what is the answer, for lack of a better way to describe it, to all of this? I mean, we have a president, as you mentioned, whatever you think about his his politics coming in with these particular work habits. It, it, it seems to me that people in the intelligence community or wherever this is coming from, maybe it's maybe it's NSA, maybe it's White House, uh, feel like they need to undercut the process. I, I assume for patriotic sensibilities, short of impeachment. Short of getting ousting him from office, what is the answer? And do you have confidence in what you know of the bureaucracy of the United States government and the career professionals of the United States and the Congress of the United States to rein in the impulses of this president that we're still getting to learn? Hey, when I when I've gotten asked by people still in government, you know, that's the bear, the beer and pizza moment. And they say, well, what kind of advice do you have before we go here, Mr. Director? I, I point out two or three things. Number one, don't compromise your own integrity. Number two, look to the long-term health of your institution. And number three, stand tall in the bunker and tell the truth. And that's what we have to continue to do. And look, let me be really clear here. With a, general, with a generous spirit to the man who is the legitimate president of the United States. I always couch this, uh, not in condemning him, but in trying to say things that would make the team around him aware, that, you know, the family and friends, tight-knit team, make them aware that this larger government is out there only to serve him. All right. General Michael Hayden, thank you very much for joining. I think we could go on for, for a, a lot longer on this, but we, uh, we hope you'll check back in with us. Uh, yeah, we John, we're, what, getting, uh, what... we're getting the level of metaphysics here. Probably not all that. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Thank you very much. I appreciate it, General Hayden. Always great to talk to you. Okay, John, thanks. So, uh, Rick, we have to take a quick break, but when we come back, I, I want to get to that other story. You remember the one uh, James Comey got fired as Ancient the history. FBI director? Ancient history. <laughs> I mean, and we're, and we're trying to pick a new FBI director. I want to I get back to that. Uh, we're going to be joined by a former spokesperson for the Department of Justice. Uh, I can't imagine somebody better to talk to on this. Hey, it's Rebecca Jarvis, and I wanted to tell you about my podcast, No Limits. We bring you a new guest with a new story every Tuesday. We're talking to trailblazing women across a variety of industries to hear about how they've built success and carved a unique path. Again, the podcast is No Limits with Rebecca Jarvis, and you can find it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening right now. Just search No Limits with Rebecca Jarvis and subscribe today. All right, and joining us now is Brian Fallon, the uh, former spokesperson for the U.S. Department of Justice. And also, uh, Rick, I think he had another job uh, more recently uh, working on one of those, uh, the, the Hillary Clinton campaign, right? Not in politics, no. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But but uh, but more to the point, uh, Brian Fallon, thank you for joining us. 
you you of course spent uh, spent time over there uh, working as the uh, the spokesperson for uh, for the attorney general and for the Department of Justice under the under the Obama administration. So, I, I we wanted to bring you on to kind of uh, get get some perspective on. You probably heard about this, but but Comey was fired last week, and there's a and there's a there's a process to choose a successor over there. You caught this, right? right. I saw it. Um, so what uh, you've obviously been you, you've been both incredibly critical, probably as critical of, as any human being I've spoken to of James Comey's stewardship of the FBI and the way he handled uh, the the Clinton email investigation. As a matter of fact, when I read the now uh, famous or infamous mem- memo written by Rod Rosenstein, the deputy attorney general, kind of outlining the reasons why uh, Comey could be fired, I thought for a minute I could have been reading something written by, uh, by Brian Fallon. But you've also been incredibly critical of the president's decision to fire him. Right. I actually read that Rosenstein memo and agreed with every word of it. Uh, you know, interestingly, it doesn't get mentioned enough, but the memo itself does not expressly call for Comey's firing, True. which was a, a pretty uh, artful way that uh, Rosenstein went about it. Clearly, he was just trying to put his name to uh, the criticisms of Comey's conduct and the handling of the Clinton email case, uh, but was not trying to be a party to the actual advocacy for his firing. I don't think he pulled it off, though, I think, in writing that memo at all and allowing himself to be used as a pretext for firing Comey, he compromised his own integrity. But in terms of what he actually um, expressed in that memo, I agree with every word of it. And I think that, you know, one thing that's lost here is that is now the official judgment of the Justice Department that Jim Comey acted inappropriately. There will be a inspector general review that comes out later this year. I expect it will probably come to the same conclusion as the Rosenstein memo. So, 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 I, I so if, I, if I just interrupt you, in terms of the propriety of what he did, yeah. I think that the the verdict is now in. Uh, that said, it doesn't justify the firing on the timing in which it happened. But, but how? Explain to me that. I, 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 and, I, and I know this is the case that that, that you and, and and many other Democrats have been making. And I. I I understand the criticism of Comey. I understand the criticism of the firing. But what I don't fully understand is why, if you agreed, as you said, with every word of that Rosenstein memo, which really makes the case that Rosenstein, I mean, that that, that Comey had undermined the credibility of not just the FBI, but the Justice Department itself and its chapter and verse that he did exactly what he was not supposed to do. And, And yet... You're critical of the firing, so you're saying that the president should have kept there in the job as the director of the FBI, somebody that had so thoroughly undermined the FBI and the Justice Department and, and had behaved in such a, a, a really kind of grossly inappropriate manner. Not, these, these were not minor transgressions. They, they may not have been, in, in, in the words of the White House, used atrocities, but, but, but you know, serious transgressions. And yet you still think that the president should have kept him on as as FBI director. I don't understand. I do. I do. And the way that I put it is that the only thing that could have further compromised the independence of the FBI than Director Comey staying is for Director Comey to have been fired in the manner in which he was by Donald Trump while he was the subject of an active investigation. And I really think that that is a widely held view, um, not just among 
supporters of Hillary Clinton that felt wronged by Jim Comey's handling of the Clinton email investigation, but by career prosecutors that have served at the Justice Department. You know, you probably recall, John, that um, in the days after Jim Comey sent that infamous letter on October 28th to Congress, there was hundreds of former high-ranking Justice Department officials that sent a letter, signed their name to a letter condemning Jim Comey's conduct. I bet you if you surveyed that same list of over 100 former uh, attorneys general, deputies attorney general, other high-ranking officials, they would all say to a person probably that, that while they disagree with Jim Comey's handling of that email investigation, they also disagree with the firing on the timing in which it's happening. The problem is exactly the timing. You can't, as Donald Trump, or in this case, as Rod Rosenstein, as the highest-ranking Justice Department official who's not recused in this case, sign off on the firing at a time when there's an active investigation into the president's own campaign. Uh, if this same uh, action had been taken under any number of different circumstances, it may well have been appropriate, and people wouldn't be asking questions. If the investigation into Donald Trump's campaign had already been concluded and they, con- and they carried out this action, uh, I think that you'd see a lot less howling. Uh, if they had simply waited for the inspector general investigation to be concluded and they cited its findings as the basis for getting rid of Jim Comey, I think it would have encountered a lot less skepticism. But to do it so abruptly and in the manner in which the president did it, where he's basically admitting that the memo from Rosenstein was a fig leaf and that he was hell-bent on firing him because of the, expressly because of the Russian investigation, I mean, it's... Uh, it's pretty clear it's inappropriate. Brian, as you know, there are a couple of key contradictions between uh, Director Comey's account through various associates who've talked to, to media organizations uh, and the president's account and, and sometimes White House aides' account. One is that Director Comey, um, shortly after the inauguration, asked to come to dinner uh, at the White House and, and asked to stay on as FBI director. And second, that President Trump, um, according to Comey associates, would have asked him for his loyalty. Uh, that's another piece of the account. The White House denies that taking place. Based on what you know of James Comey, based on what you know of the Justice Department, what do you think the truth is? What can you imagine? The, what's the likeliest scenario that you could see of playing out at that now infamous dinner between Comey and Trump? I think that the truth is probably somewhere in the middle, Rick. Um, Jim Comey is an apolitical figure in the sense that he does not let his decisions be guided by any sense of partisan politics. By which I mean, while for most of his life he was a registered Republican, I do not think that any of his actions in how he handled the Hillary Clinton matter uh, were due to him trying to help propel Donald Trump's candidacy for president. Um, however, he is a political actor in the sense that he, is a, he knows the ways of Washington very well. And there's a reason he's been able to rise up the ranks and uh, and was chosen by a president of a, of a different party to be the FBI director. And and that's because uh, he's very concerned at all times with optics. Um, he play he's very familiar with the, with Washington parlor games and and knows how to curry favor in Washington circles. And so the the mere fact that Mr. Comey took that meeting at all is sort of proof and indication of what I'm talking about. Because if somebody that was completely by the book would have said, probably, let it be known to the White House, may have given a call to Reince Priebus and said, you know, I obviously do not want to insult the president, but it would be highly inappropriate for me to come over there and have this dinner. Um, but he didn't choose that course. He decided to show up for the dinner anyway. Uh, but he also would have been very careful, I'm sure, to not say anything the letter of which would have gotten him in any trouble or, you know, expressly violated any DOJ protocol. So I, I doubt that he provided him any assurance of loyalty. 
I doubt that he gave him any readout on the ongoing investigation. Um, but I'm sure that he also recognized that that dinner was probably an audition to keep his job, and he probably wanted to keep his job. So I'm sure there was a lot of flattery coming from Jim Comey and in, in, into Donald Trump's direction. Um, so I suspect that the truth is somewhere in the middle. What, what do you make of this process that they're going through now to replace Comey? A very quick process, eight people <laughs> interviewed over the course of a weekend, um, eight candidates, um, many of them uh, with some solid bipartisan credentials, some of them not. Uh, you know, Trey, Trey Gowdy was on that list, took himself out. Uh, John Cornyn's on that on that list. But um, what what do you what do you make of the process of of an attorney general and a deputy attorney general sitting down and basically doing the you know coming up with the short list for the president? And do you think there is anybody? Uh, who could take that job that would uh, repair some of the damage in terms of, of, of credibility? I think that there's a lot of elements of how they're conducting this process that are problematic. Number one, it seems like it's happening in a pretty slapdash manner. Um, the president has suggested that they might be able to pick somebody as quickly as this week. Um, knowing how abruptly they fired Jim Comey, it's not possible that they had done any advanced vetting of any of these potential successors. So the idea that they would turn around and decide on somebody within a week suggests that there's uh, there's not, quote-unquote, extreme vetting going on here, as at least as it pertains to potential FBI directors. <laughs> um, secondly, a lot of the people that we're hearing on the short list uh, would represent a huge break from um, the tradition of selecting somebody that does not smack of partisan politics. So any type of uh, off existing office holder or current uh, current or former, somebody that has been in an elected office, a, a political official, would be a break. And I think it would be inappropriate to pick somebody uh, from, from those ranks. So anybody along the lines of a Trey Gowdy or a John Cornyn is going to come immediately under suspicion. I even think Mike Rogers, you know, Mike Rogers, a former FBI agent himself, was endorsed over the weekend by the Agents Association. Uh, because he's uh, one of the rank-and-file guys there, so has a lot of good, strong relationships, and, you know, is, is, has, a pretty, has a pretty good reputation as a serious person. Um, but he's also a former office holder, and I, so I think just for that reason, I, I would steer clear of him, for, despite all his other uh, sound aspects of his resume. Uh, but it seems like they might be leaning in that way. So you who know, would you pick? Who, 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 who would, who would Brian Fallon's pick? Well, here's who? the thing. Here's the it, to me, the individual that they select is less important than um, than uh, accompanying it with the decision to, by Rod Rosenstein, only he can make the decision to appoint a special prosecutor. I think if they pick anybody, I think even if they steer clear of picking somebody who has been a previous office holder, uh, the Democrats are going to oppose the nomination absent uh, an accompanying announcement of a special prosecutor. Okay, but in either, the, in, but the, either case, who does Brian Fallon... Brian Fallon gets called into the Oval Office. Donald Trump wants his opinion because he wants to be so bipartisan on this. Who does Brian Fallon advise Donald Trump to pick as FBI director? Uh, I tell you who it wouldn't be. It wouldn't be Merrick Garland. I'm glad that Merrick Garland let it be known he's not interested. A you lot think that's a trap? That's that's a clear trap. The fact that Mitch McConnell is for it should be proof that Democrats <laughs> should be against it. It would rob Democrats of a very valuable seat on the D.C. Circuit, the second most important circuit in the federal judiciary. So that was a bit of trolling that has taken on a life of its own. You know who I would suggest? He'll never pick her. Lisa Monaco, former national security uh, aide to President Obama. Uh, she was actually the runner-up the last time when President Obama selected uh, Jim Comey. 
and uh, think about how history might be different if he had gone with Lisa Monaco instead of Jim Comey. Uh, she is somebody who was the he former head of the National Security Division inside the Justice Department, has the respect of national security professionals and prosecutors. Um, but my point is this, John, uh, whoever he selects, because it is an, a Donald Trump appointee, that person is going to not have clean hands from the get-go in terms of conducting this investigation into Russia. Even when he selected Rod Rosenstein for deputy attorney general, there were people that said, well, hey, he had been an appointee under Barack Obama. He has a good reputation. How can you quibble with him? But you can't ask anybody who owes their job to the president to then lead an investigation into the president. The same thing will be true of anybody he nominates for FBI director. That's why he needs to do it as a twofer, nominate somebody and, and simultaneously say that they'll appoint a special counsel. Brian, very quickly before you go, you, you, you still have chance of lock her up, ringing your ears, no doubt. Uh, what, what do you make of the, the revelation that President Trump uh, appears to have revealed classified information to the Russians? And uh, I'm curious, have you, have you spoken with Secretary Clinton about this in the last 24 hours or, or aides? What's the reaction in Clinton world to, to this coming out? I've not spoken in the last 24 hours, but I mean, at this point, uh, we have gotten over you know, um, the rank hypocrisy. It seems like uh, before his term is over, Donald Trump will have completely fulfilled every criticism uh, he lodged at Hillary Clinton. Um, to me, it's, it's, it's obvious that at this point, despite their attempts at denying it yesterday, uh, that what the Post reported is, is fundamentally true. Uh, it's extremely dangerous. Um, and uh, I think the country has lost a lot of faith in uh, Mr. McMaster, who's let himself be compromised in the same way that Rod Rosenstein has been by this president and going out there and vouching for something that, you know, he knew was fundamentally uh, not true. Um, I think that at some point you have to ask when congressional Republicans are, are going to do more than just um, distance themselves rhetorically in the way that Bob Corker did yesterday or that John McCain is doing this morning and actually take some steps to back it up with actions. It probably won't happen till early next year till we're closer to the midterms, and that's unfortunate. But in the meantime, if I were Senate Democrats, I would be heeding the words of a lot of progressive activists who are increasingly suggesting that they should be pulling out all the stops and grinding the Senate business to a halt to try to bring attention to these issues. Are, are you, you uh, sensing impeachment on the horizon? Is that what you mean by action? I think that's premature. I think that you'd have to actually, I'd want to have an actual truly independent investigation get to the bottom of these Russian matters. Uh, and then maybe you have some clear cut uh, violations that would, um, you know, resonate and legitimize, you know, some kind of talk of that. But I think that's premature. Right now, I would be putting the pressure on the Republicans to uh, A, appoint a special counsel and B, allow a full, true investigation to happen out of Capitol Hill so that we can get to the bottom of this and perhaps have a basis to entertain discussion of something like that down the line. All right. Brian Fallon, the former director of public affairs at the U.S. Department of Justice, former press secretary for the Hillary Clinton presidential campaign. Thank you for joining us on Powerhouse Politics. We'll get you back on here soon to talk about what the heck's going on with, uh, with Hillary Clinton's latest political moves. But this is not a time for politics, Brian. Thank you for joining us. Thanks, guys. I mean, really, Rick. It's always a time for politics on the. I mean, we also did, we also didn't politics, get, we but also you know, did, we also didn't get Brian's take on fantasy baseball. I know, a legendary I know, guys, fantasy baseball player. For for those who don't know that, you know, one one of the little known facts about Brian Fallon is that he has anywhere from five to six to seven. I don't even know, but but definitely more than five fantasy baseball teams. 
that doesn't sound that doesn't sound sane. It, it doesn't it, sound it, you know, I mean, I don't know how you keep track of the lineups. And I don't. I mean, you know. <laughs> Um, but uh, but look, I, I I thought that the, the headline out of that was c- confirming what you and I had, had spoken about last week. I mean, he said that he could have written every word of that memo that was written by Rod Rosenstein that was used by the White House as the justification for firing Jim Comey. I do think there is some dissonance between saying that the guy is is unfit for the job and yet the president should not have fired him. I understand. You know the, uh, the the issues with how it was done and the way it was done and all of that, but 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 there does seem to be a little bit of cognitive dissonance uh, uh, from Democrats, on and this. not cleanly on on Comey's side in the relationship with Trump. I think it's interesting that someone as critical as he is of the firing would say, "Wait a second, remember that James Comey, for whatever word he's putting out now, is a very political actor. He understands the parlor game." He said, "He understand," and so he he knew what he was getting into when he took that White House invitation, and it's possible that the truth is not exactly what Trump is saying or Comey is saying, that it is somewhere in between. We want those tapes, as President Trump teases us. We want the tapes. All right, well, that is all the time we have for Powerhouse Politics. We may be back with an emergency podcast before this uh, this week is out, but, uh, but, Rick, that is all the time we have now. Thank you for listening. We'll catch you again soon. 